Thanks for listening to the Calgary Business Podcast. I'm your host, Alan Wozni, and the following episode is part of a special series titled All Psyched Up About with clinical psychologist Dan McMillan. Dan holds a Master of Education in Psychology and is a clinical and counseling psychologist in the province of Alberta, Canada. Dan is currently the director of Assured Psychology, a medium-sized psychology firm based in Calgary, Alberta, situated in the Kensington area of the city. Dan has been a counselor and therapist in various settings for over 17 years. Dan McMillan spent the first half of his counseling career working primarily at Alberta Health Services with a focus on mental health and addictions. Eventually, Dan transitioned to private practice, and after finding initial success, he expanded to a group practice with an aim to provide quality mental health care to as many people as possible. While the Assured Psychology Clinic attends to a variety of concerns for counseling and assessment, the primary focus of Dan's own work is on adults and couples' mental health and well-being. Dan believes in understanding and treating the underlying causes that create mental health concerns, not just focusing on symptom relief. Dan is proud to say that his firm, Assured Psychology, also shares these values and promotes warm, competent, caring for all its clients. I hope you enjoy the All Psyched Up About series, whereby Dan McMillan will discuss and seek to unpack a variety of issues and topics around mental health. I invite you to subscribe to this podcast from whatever app you access your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and even Amazon Music. I also invite you to leave a review. This will allow others to easily find the Calgary Business Podcast, including all episodes in the All Psyched Up About series. Once again, thanks for listening and have a great day. Good morning. Welcome to the All Psyched Up About podcast. I've got, uh, this is episode number eight, and I've got in the line uh, with me, Dr. Robin Lett. Rob, I'm going to call you doctor because you have the credentials. I'm sorry. You just have the credentials, Robin. Thank you. Nice to be here. Well, this is, you know, this is, this is the eighth episode that uh, Daniel McMillan and your, your colleagues over at uh, Shirt Psychology got me all psyched up about but before we go into your topic i am psyched up about your background like first of all can i can i ask you a couple questions of course yes please so you you first of all you've you uh you spent some time in china which is pretty cool were you just just for fun or you teaching math in taiwan and shanghai yeah i was um it was after i had finished my my doctorate in developmental neurobiology and I just decided I needed to do something different uh, so I got a teaching gig at international schools out in Asia first in Taipei Taiwan yeah for a couple of years and then in Shanghai um, so, teaching math and science in grades 10 to 12. So because you had done I guess your as you said it's a mouthful your degree and I, I read your your dissertation like I read it religiously that all 59 page or whatever whatnot I'm just go, I'm joking but I what you were you did. <laughs> I oh did not you, just a title I don't even know do you want to wow everyone with the title but it was so that was your PhD in neuroscience I mean so you know mm-hmm. the brain I mean um I would say to some extent I 
you know, as far as one can know the brain uh, in terms of, you know, and that was, that was published in 2009. So, you know, there has been a lot of things that have come out since then, but I mean, I did, I did have a pretty good understanding of sort of the four dimensional developmental side of things. Well, then you went on and did your master's in, in psychology. So you kind of know people <laughs> and then counseling psychology. So that's a little bit different, right? So to allow you to work with people is that the, the, the next level from just being a master's in psychology to counseling? Uh, well, my master's was a master's of science in, they called it applied psychology. So it was clinical psychology. So yeah. psychopathology, social psychology, um, and then a lot of you know, research-based stuff as well. So it sort of covered all the bases. Yeah. And then from there, you know, I was also working as a psychometrist. So, and was able to intern and start doing counseling. Wow. Okay. So, you, I mean, first of all, you little, little, little sit in his classroom and teach some kids. And then, well, I'm going to, you know, you learn a ton from that. Because I've been to Shanghai for a little weekend trip. And it's an unusual city. It's got this ring road. And I mean, what's 15, 20 million people, but you don't feel, I didn't feel it was a massive, uh, you know, the population that compared to Beijing or whatever. It was just a cool city. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I wanted to share that because I normally I don't okay. go into that deep. You know, the, we're here to talk about psychology and, you know, Daniel has, you know, Daniel McMillan and, and, and some of your colleagues, we, we really deep dive first right in, we get all psyched up about, but I'm like, I'm sorry, Dr. Robin or... Dr. Lett, I, I, do you just go by Robin? <laughs> uh, you can just call me Robin, yeah. Okay. Well, let's, so let's go, you've got an agenda. Um, you wanted to talk a few things uh, that, mm -hmm. that you work, some of your work. I'll let you just fire it off and start. And, and this is your, you know, what do you want, what are you psyched up about? Well, sorry, I just want to bring up my notes here. Um, you know, you can never have too many screens. Don't tell anybody that. <laughs> well, you do have, but um, I'm going to, for the benefit of the two, if, if anybody's video, we're going to see the video of this. There's about 17 plaques on your wall. I think you've ran out of space and then you put up a, some kind of mural or picture there, but the rest, the rest are all your credentials, right? So if anybody. Uh, yeah, just, just the four. Yeah. Okay. Just um, in case anybody doubts, you know. I just, in case do anyone doubts, yeah. Yeah, it's, what is it? You don't even have imposter. There's no, there's no imposter syndrome. You're just like, I have a syndrome. I want to people to help. I want to help people, right? That, that's your syndrome. Yeah. I mean, I would say that, you know, I think a lot of people struggle in graduate school in particular with imposter syndrome because yeah. of the way it's set up, but I won't get too much into that. I, I, I do not personally experience too much imposter syndrome anymore. Terrific. Um, but one of the reasons I became a psychologist was because when I was teaching at these schools, you know, these were boarding schools for kids whose parents were traveling and yeah. you know a lot of them were having you know, some of them were having trouble sort of fitting in with other schools right. so they were put in this overseas school and the plan at least in Taiwan was that these kids would learn English learn their subjects in English and then go to a sister school in Canada and then be able to get a Canadian high school diploma and then be able to enter you know university system here right um, and what one thing I noticed and, you know, started becoming involved in was how dispossessed and 
frankly, unhappy these kids were. And when I was in Shanghai, because it was a bigger school, there was actually a school counselor there. And at one point, we just started talking about all these kids who were falling through the cracks because there was no adult on the other, you know, at home to who help spoke them. English or they, they knew the English curriculum as well as, as them well, or parents or teachers or, sorry, or just teachers. to keep them sort of motivated or to support them that way. They were living in dorms and had house moms that oh, okay. didn't have like parents who were, you know, checking in and showing them love and all those like that sort of home base. So we created an intervention program for these kids and brought them all in and we're like, how can we help you? What do you need? What are you struggling with? Like, do you need extra tutoring? Like Robin will do this and Amy will do this. And yeah. we really worked and, you know, we had the home, the, the dormitory students there, or sorry, the dormitory parents there too. Yeah. So just like creating basically a multidisciplinary team to help support these kids towards whatever success looked like for them. And, you know, I think it was quite successful in a number of ways. And I, you know, I still have relationships with these kids because of that. But that, that in itself is a, is a field because I mean, I, I'm just, you know, my own view, we live 20 years. My daughters grew up mostly their formative years were in Dubai at a British school. Mm. Um, same in Qatar in Doha. And, and we met many Brits who, you know, I went to boarding school when I was seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever it was, right? And it was this thing and the disconnect. And I, I, that I'm sure you probably have seen research papers on this. This could be a dis dissertation on itself, because in Russia, the, the, you know, we lived in Russia for a while, and and the local parent, the same in Kazakhstan, they would put their kids in a British school or an English mm -hmm. school for that yeah. what you exactly said, so they could further on and go. But they had an intense Russian as well, at the same time. Their, their parents would would force or not force them but they so i gotta imagine there's issues that well all over the globe for what yes. exactly what you just talked to about wow yeah so that was sort of a springboard for me to when i came back to canada to start working in mental health and like making my way towards becoming a psychologist well we're gonna have to go back to that that could be a, a another episode sorry daniel when we're going to have to invite Robin back on because this is fascinating. For me, it's fascinating because we were overseas. I know plenty of people, you know, the kids go to boarding school and they're, the parents are overseas. So they go back to the UK or wherever. So there's a whole slew of issues, I'm sure, that they're dealing with maybe at 19, 20, 16, whatever the ages are. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. For sure. I will let you get, let's get, we're here. We're, we're grounded back here in Calgary and uh, it's it's a little bit chilly today, but Robin, go ahead. So I know you mentioned a little bit about ADHD and maybe you want to define that and talk about some of that to, to jump off for today. Okay. Uh, so one of the things that I have specialized in is uh, assessment of adults for uh, ADHD. This acronym stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. Right. I didn't know the Formerly, formerly called ADD, okay, right? So attention deficit disorder. And if you had a diagnosis prior to the new DSM, then you would have had a diagnosis of attention deficit. The thing about the name of this, and I don't like calling it a disorder even because, you know, by and large, a lot of people 
do really well, right? And that's why we're having these adult diagnoses coming out more often now is because for a long time, you know, people do figure out how to make their lives work. And they often have um, sort of collecting other mental health diagnoses, but a lot of it is just emergent from the issues surrounding ADHD and not knowing what those needs are. And so, you know, perhaps like self-medicating or, you know, distractible and sort of scattered, like scatterbrained, random, you know, or people who like can't figure out what to do with their lives, that sort of thing. And it's, you know, so people, as far as a disorder goes, I mean, I just see it as a neurotype, right? Yeah. You can look at like autism spectrum that way too. And there's other forms of neurodivergence that are just, it's a broad spectrum of people whose brains are wired differently. Yeah. We don't actually know if I was to go back and do another PhD in developmental neurobiology, what I would look at is like, how does an ADHD or an autistic brain develop differently than that of a quote unquote neurotypical? And, you know, I don't know if anyone's actually neurotypical because it is a spectrum, but ADHD. Right. Cause it's so, so that if you took that, the, the bell curve, kind of the norm would be, you should be here, but I guess what, the measurement tools, there must be measurement tools to call it a normal brain versus a dysfunctional or, you know, that spectrum. So one end to the other end. Yeah. I think maybe normal just depends on societal norms and like, you know, if you grow up in sort of Western Protestant type upbringing or, yeah. you know, what, what do they call that? Um, yeah, just like or Western or... society with capitalist type underpinnings and, you know, like North America and Western Europe, you know, there are frameworks that mean, you know, the way this society operates, you have to be like this. Right. And if you don't operate like this, then you are considered like odd or weird or what have you, right? But the problem with the way that ADHD is named is that it is not actually a deficit of attention. It is a deficit of being able to direct your attention. Right. Right. So it's, you know, in some ways, it's not an impairment because if you work at a place where being able to do many things and like sort of jack of all trades things like people who work in jobs where that's kind of their deal like I kind of do a little bit of everything I don't know what my job title is you may be a Maybe. person who <laughs> likes not only needs a lot of different stimulation and can't handle things to be the same all the time but maybe you really you know maybe that's working towards your brain function maybe that's why you fit that so well yeah and so the reason it is disordered is because if you didn't know that and you didn't know how to take care of your brain, then you will be sort of trying to fit your round peg into a square hole and wondering why these gaps exist. Well, that, that I mean, so if I go back to my so growing up here in Calgary and, you know, the kind of elementary, there was always that special class. There was always every grade had maybe not. I don't remember from earlier years but say for i always remember in later five grade five six seven whatever there was there was a special class and so people mm -hmm. got slotted and it was very few 
and well, we can't really fit your child in here. And you hear this even today, well, we can't really fit your child in this class. You'll have to go to another school. Is that something you're seeing? And I don't, I don't, you know, we don't want to belabor this, but I mean, it, is there more people focused on it from your discipline side or your, your specialty side that they, we can help those children. There's more people in that basket per se. Uh, I'm not, I'm hearing, like, I don't actually work with children anymore, but okay. like I, I stopped doing that maybe four years ago. Um, but I think there's a greater awareness that, you know, we cannot treat. I mean, this is probably true of all areas. We can't treat everyone the same. Yeah. People have different needs. And if you try to apply like a one size fits all thing to people, it's not going to work. Right. And this is also relevant to like the workplace because, you know, there's like this, oh, let's have an open concept cubicle room and then expect everybody to be able to succeed in that. But it doesn't work for everybody, you know, and with the pandemic, when people were sent home, some people really struggled because they weren't getting they weren't getting enough interaction with people. And some people right. really need that to feel right good and then some people were like oh this is amazing and then when being sent back to the office are like oh i don't like that i don't know why i tolerated that for so long That's and so right. there's this struggle against you know with companies where we have people who are now back in the office burning out because they're actually overwhelmed by their environments yeah and the expectations in that to to be successful to whatever measure that is and yet it's not working for them anymore, but there's no ability to accommodate that because of the one size fits all model. And if you don't fit that, then, well, I guess you can go on disability for a little while, figure wow. your stuff out, go back yeah. to work. And, you know, you see people doing this. I, I and... remember in the 90s, I remember you met, you said, so you said ADD, right? I remember we, just people around or whoever was like, oh, they're on disability for yeah, whatever that there was that fatigues, chronic fatigue syndrome. I don't know if that's still part of, to me, it's similar. It's, it's the other side. I think it is. Yes. Right. Chronic fatigue, fatigue syndrome. I remember that. Oh yeah. They're on leave. And I'm like, I didn't understand it because it was different than, as you said, the capitalistic kind of drive, keep going. Maybe I had a little ADD back in the day and maybe I still do, but you know, the, now I'll have to, I don't know if the H comes in. Cause if I take a Red Bull, then the H would be in. If I'm, I'm ADD with H with Red Bull, but you know, so I wanted to, I want to go back to something you said earlier and I, I mean, I'll let you continue, but you said something about the spectrum and mm. it remind we just saw the movie with the John, I think it's John Nash, the beautiful mind. With, okay. And it, if you haven't seen it, it's brilliant because what he did, he's learned, no, you said something about managing, being able to manage it. And what he did is he managed his, uh, psycho, uh, psycho, he had the, he was schizophrenic and yeah. he had like friends with him. They're always with him. His roommate in college was it was never in roommate. The, yeah. the 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 CIA agent who was never and they were they were with him all his life. Yeah. And, but he he said I can control this. I mean he was a brilliant man. He was brilliant, and mm -hmm. he had I think he won a Nobel Peace Prize for his uh, work on economics. But it's like right. he said I you mentioned that earlier. Like you, you if you can manage that without drugs or maybe they do it with drugs. But his mm -hmm. is a case where he did it without drugs. Right. He did have a pretty bad episode towards the end, right? He was very, I did see the movie and I don't know how accurate it was to this sense. Yeah. Like, but, um, you know, schizophrenia is another spectrum. 
That's right. There's quite a range of how that can be experienced by people. And there are relationships to, and it's actually considered potentially, I don't know if this is actually confirmed, but I think there's a suggestion that it's also a developmental disorder. As in like, you're born with the potential to have this happen, particularly around the age of like 18 to 20, when sort of life stressors tend to load onto us, right? Yeah. So with any kind of neurodivergent, it is something you were born with. It's just like, where do you hit the wall? But so here's you're now not right? able to- Without studying the mind, sorry, Robin, it's just without studying the mm-hmm. mind. And as you have, to me, the, his brilliance, he's on this level of brilliance in terms of how he saw game theory and, and sort of how people play, you know, manage or business, whatever it was. But at the same time, yeah. there was that extra, because his, his brain was so elevated in its intelligence, there was something else that was also maybe not deficient, but it was, it was on why it was wired to do something, you know, to, I don't, does that, does that, they go hand in hand, meaning that he's on that level of brilliance yet also the level of psychosis or whatever you want to call it. Well, I mean, actually, so the basis of ADHD explained in its most simple form is a deficiency of dopamine signaling from sort of subcortical and brainstem levels to the frontal lobes, right? The prefrontal cortex and the anterior cingulate are, I could draw you a picture, but (laughs) it'd be terrible. There are like at the front of the corpus callosum. So your brain sort of folds over where your eyes are. And in that part, that's your frontal lobe. Yeah. And sort of above your eyes directly, that cortex, prefrontal cortex. And then right above it is the cingulate cortex. And that swoops all the way back to okay. the posterior parts of your brain. And that frontal part is what regulates our executive function. So ADHD is an impairment in executive usually involves an impairment in executive function and self-regulation. Yeah. And self-regulation is like our brain is always talking to itself and it operates in sort of way. I don't mean to laugh. It's like that, that little man, that little man, you know, they always make the play of it. Seinfeld, or that little man, that little man's talking to, you know, how they do the cartoons. And it's that, the, that's your brain talking to, but you really, yeah. they, make fun. they do make fun of it, but yeah. But the parts of your brain talk to each other all the time. This is how every living creature is functioning. Yeah. Right. There's a constant communication between the parts of your brain. And but the the dopamine that's being sent to these frontal lobe parts. Yeah. Right. And like if you're on social media at all, like you see people talking about chasing the dopamine or like, I don't have enough dopamine. That's sort runner's of thing. high. Well, like the runner's high, but that's adrenaline and if that's dopamine. Uh, I could, but it's probably dopamine also. Right. Like I would say, uh, you know, people who are former intense athletes, like high yeah. level athletes, yeah. you know, part of the reason they often experience sort of malaise and even depression or anxiety or, you know, sort of other mental, mentally disabling conditions is because when they stop being active 40 hours a week, their brains aren't getting the stimulation they need oh, right. to regulate. Right. And when you dysregulate, your mood goes awry. Maybe you get anxiety because that's your brain trying to 
create dopamine, but then it also creates stress. Yeah. So it's sort of like, in order to manage stress, in order to manage your mood, in order to manage, you know, maybe obsessive thinking, all signs of dysregulation, you need to be able to find ways to get the dopamine that helps our brains and like because the communication is in these oscillatory patterns so like yeah. a sine wave like yeah, back yeah, yeah, and yeah. forth back and forth kind of yeah. like how you would imagine sleep waves and then when it's dysregulated those waves are the amplitudes are too high right right so you want to like have a way of bringing those amplitudes the volatility down. right what you've just said what you described is where they talk about the stock market the volatility index you just scrunch it down so there's less ups and downs ebbs and flows mm -hmm. or valleys and peaks and yeah yeah that wow. would be sort of my my math way of characterizing yeah. it right and so when you because the other thing the things that it regulates executive function if you think about what an executive does at a company right you are monitoring what's going on you're planning you are goal setting and then monitoring your process towards a goal right you are aware of the passage of time and therefore you know you say well i want to do this thing in the future and your brain is kind of theoretically able to figure out how to do the things to get to the the thing you want yeah a extreme version of just of the sort of downfall of this system would be in like alzheimer's disease like late late stages where a person may not be able to remember how to make a cup of coffee and can't order the steps in order to make that happen. Right. Right. Um, there are other terrible things that happen in late stages of that, but that would be sort of the example. It's like, well, I want to put the, take the filter and like, where does it just go in the coffee cup? Like, and you're just like, like, it's just, you have all the pieces, but you can't put them together correctly. Right. So it's about like organizing yourself in time. And if you're not, if you don't have your executive function properly regulated by other parts of the brain, then you will struggle to organize yourself in time to get the things done you want to get done. Right. And maybe you've developed, you know, and a lot of people develop systems to be able to do this, but you will also find like, oh, every once in a while, I really screw that up. <laughs> like how did i do that you know and then you're like oh well perhaps perhaps what's happening is there were too many things on my plate because one of the other things about executive function is working memory how many things can you hold in your mind at a given time for the, the ram i mean that's like a computer seconds. right the ram the, the random yeah. access memory which is right basically it's just what you described to me and i'm not a computer expert but i just you know that that ram is what's in what's out what's kind of the, the apps that you're running on your on your computer how many apps can you have running in your brain at one time before you collapse mm. before the computer crashes before your brain crashes wow exactly and so if you you know and if you're even if you're medicated and you have really great strategies for doing these things and i'm not saying medication is the answer for everybody because there's all sorts of reasons why people can't tolerate it but if you have good strategies and generally are able to function well you still you your strategies probably involve uh sort of prosthetics right, right. so my ram is terrible like what am i going to do like so mental rehearsal like remembering where you parked in a large parking lot like 
that may not be a thing for you. You may not be able to do that. And like I go to Chinook Center and then I can't find my car ever. So maybe your strategy, this is what I do. <laughs> I always park in the same place. Yeah, as, repetitive, as like just yeah, familiarity, right? The familiarity and you just, mm-hmm. but if you, if you did something different, deviated from that, yes. that suddenly throws you off, right? My wife called the police she, and we, we were in Dubai and she went on, the, she was on the wrong level. She was sure I cannot find, she was calling me. I'm like, I don't know, call. She thought the car was stolen. She just went to the wrong level. She right. normally went to this one level. Yeah. <laughs> she called the well, police. Well, I mean, one of the, so one of the like nice cheats we have now is that our iPhones will tell us where our car is parked, even without asking it. Yeah. And every once in a while, that's very useful, right? <laughs> and so these things can happen to anybody, but if you, you know, when it gets to a point where you're struggling is where that's happening a lot in a lot of different domains and particularly yeah. because of sometimes an inability to pay attention to detail and details include time hidden costs of things like you know random extra fees on your airplane tickets like i thought my flight was going to be $700 why is it $1100 oh because there's these additional fees that come onto it right and you always yeah. have to be mindful of those things but if you're not a super detailed person for things like that, you your spending can get out of control without being aware of it, and or you can or you spend too much, you spend more than you intend, or you take too much time, or you because you don't actually know what five minutes or an hour feels like, and yeah. both can feel the same depending on what's going on, and some of that is a factor of not being regulated. And that's the executive, the, the frontal lobe that you mentioned yes. earlier. Okay. So yeah. you mentioned a sort of, you know, you and I talked offline in some of your notes about ADHD and then sort of the workplace. And is it, is it something you're seeing, say today, more today, or maybe in your work where you're, you're finding people are coming to you, sort of executives or workplace say, hey, I'm dealing with, you know, neuro, you called the words neurodivergence. Maybe you want to mm-hmm. speak to that a little bit. Sorry, so what, what was the question? Well, the question's around, are you seeing cases where people are coming to you for executives or maybe management level, you know, career, mid, mid-career people or late-career people who are saying, hey, I'm, I'm having these issues around the ADHD or in the workplace, and can you help mm-hmm. me? And maybe if that is the case, what are, you, what are your suggestions to people? So the answer, the short answer is yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Obviously, we need to maintain our confidentiality and whatnot, but um, I would say that in general, and people don't always know what's going on. So sometimes people are come to me, already had a diagnosis, and they're like, you know, I'm trying to put myself back together. I had sort of a meltdown. I, you know, I quit drinking or I quit smoking, and now I'm like really not doing well, but, you know, a lot of addictions addictions produce dopamine at really high levels okay so it is a self it is truly self-medicating and when people but people see it as like well this is very socially unacceptable so i'm going to stop doing this and then they're like oh i'm i'm not doing very well because this thing that was like helping me regulate i don't have that anymore and then they'll probably have sought a diagnosis of some kind yeah and you know if somebody 
is doing diagnosis and is knowledgeable enough, they will be able to pick that out, right? With a proper like, thorough interview and lots of questionnaires. And you will, when, if I see them after diagnosis, then we're just working on strategies and systems processes. Right. Well, back to the coffee, as you said, the filter. So what comes from it's kind of that yeah. slow, slow and steady. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I, I've heard and I'm going back to when I started the podcast, it was before COVID and I met everyone in front in person. And then it was the pre COVID, then COVID hit and it was all virtual. So some of the people I'd meet and they're like, you know, they were they were talking about I normally have, you know, I'm the one that everyone comes to problems the CEOs, you know, I, or I have, you know, I talk to CEOs and COVID hit. Or they were CEOs, and there was there was one fellow. He's a CEO. He was a CEO um, advisor, and he didn't have the answers because COVID hit, and he didn't have the answers. But he had CEOs coming to him who had employees coming to them, and it was like this vicious cycle that was during mm -hmm. COVID, and sort of you know what suggestions do people have? And then I, I spoke to one of your colleagues, and I think it was a similar. You know, it was there was a husband and wife team. I can't remember their names, but there was he he was mentioned that. We, we were able to bounce ideas off during COVID because, you know, our clients were coming to us for, for so many things when they, when normally we had all the answers, but we didn't have the answer. So there was this period where COVID just was hitting everybody at no matter what level. So, mm -hmm. I mean, do you have any experiences? Not, you don't, again, respecting confidentiality, was anything in yeah. general, what you dealt with and how what suggestions you have for people when these things just overwhelm and you have, you're the go-to person and that you no longer can be the go-to person. Oh, uh, you know, it was, it was really tough because I, you know, it was tough on us as much, you know, us, your therapists, it was tough on us as much as it was yeah. on you guys. But I think that, um, honestly, I don't pretend to have answers. I don't have, you know, I commiserate with that. Like this is a shared experience and I know you're coming to me for supports, but, and we, we're probably working on something else also, right? Yeah. Where, you know, that's the reason why you're coming to see me, but then it's also, you know, just ascertain, like what I often was doing was just like, you know, how do you feel about this? Do you have, are you having struggles with this? Are you not having struggles with this? Do you know why that is? Like, you know, what's happening for you since this, since we've been locked in our houses, like that sort of thing. And like checking in, like, are you okay? Have you been ill? Are you, you know, are you reaching out and talking to people? Do you not want to talk to anybody? <laughs> like, where are you at? And just sort of like providing that frequent contact as well as the mental health support. But yeah. just the, the contact of like a supportive person who is able to, you know, like, I'm not going to be triggered by this conversation. Let's just tell me what you think. Tell me what you need. Like, does that make sense? Like, just, you know, because no, I, a consultant, you know, right? I'm you're living, probing. I'm locked you're in kind my of, house too. You're being, <laughs> so. you're being, well, yeah, you're being empathetic and sympathetic, but you're also you collaborate. You're trying, you know, trying to listen to what they're saying. Because maybe, mm -hmm. you have, as you said, you're all in, this, in together, but everyone has differences together. Because, you know, I've even pre-COVID, I remember discussions of and i'm going to give alberta you know the, the the pressures were on alberta the economy and individuals homes suddenly there was there was a lot of social pressures within say husband and wives pre-covid and covid hit and they're suddenly trapped together 
And so it was a heightened level where the, the H came in. It was hyper, meaning you had to be, you were having issues pre, pre-COVID because of whatever. Mm-hmm. Oil prices were low or lost your job and now you're working from home anyway. And now you're really working from home. So I guess yeah. what I can hear from you is that it was very much just listen, listen like a consultant and, mm-hmm. and figure out is there ways we can, we can you know, come up with solutions for you and maybe it'll help me as well. Right. And sometimes yeah. there's ideas like people would come up with, and I'm just going for my own podcast. And I was like, wow, that could be helpful for, that could be helpful, useful for me or for someone else. So, yeah, I mean, I do, you know, in a way, one thing I've kind of, you know, I haven't been in practice super duper long. Um, but what I, what I'm coming to see is that, you know, there are these like larger picture events that are happening, right? Like there's COVID, there's like COVID part six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and then behind that there's like there's like the outer experience of the general public and what's going on for them. There's the heightened politicization of everything. Yeah. Yes, right. There's the you know workplace pressures, pressures at home, or alleviation of pressures at home, depending, right? You know, waves of doing couples therapy with people who are like stuck at home and realize they, you know, they can't stand it or they come in and they're like, our relationship's never been better because it's given us a chance to really get to know each other and realize like, oh, we really do like each other. And this has been really great. And maybe work shouldn't be the top priority in this thing we call life, but and then there's the other side of things, which is, you know, working with healthcare workers and what they went through and how stressful it was for them and how much like, you know, glorification and then vilification they experienced, which was, you know, truly unfortunate because, you know, healthcare workers were constantly exposed to COVID. And, and then the fact that the healthcare system has almost crashed like three or four times. And I get to learn about this stuff firsthand because these people are coming into my office and telling me these things. Yeah. Um, so, sorry, I got off track. But what I think I'm talking about here is that my role as a therapist, no matter what I'm helping somebody with, I feel like I create like sort of an invisible bridge between people who don't, like it's an in, in a sense, like an invisible community, right? People who want to do better, be better. And better is maybe a pejorative term, but, you know, better for themselves, like to make their life meaningful, to feel like they have purpose, to feel like they have connection. And while I connect with these people individually or in pairs, over time, there is sort of a back and forth information that sort of flows through me to other people. So in a way, I feel like it's a conduit. If, If you pay attention, as a therapist, you're actually a conduit for people to almost help each other without really realizing it, you know, and sometimes we do groups to try to increase that sense, but people are, people are scared of groups. They're less scary than perhaps they have to be, but because you can develop some community out of that too. But I think community is the biggest thing we've lost. And finding that back again has been difficult. And so, and because people feel disenfranchised with the pre-COVID world, 
especially if COVID sort of precipitated, like, okay, now I have this ADHD diagnosis, or I have an autism diagnosis, or now I have OCD, or whatever it is that's going on with me, like, how do I remake my world in the image I want it to be in a community that's gonna, that I feel will accept and understand me and make allowances for the things that I need to be able to succeed the best way I can, right? It's incredible, the gamut, that, the, the gamut or the, the spectrum, you mentioned the word spectrum, it's like mm-hmm. in all spectrums at any given day, any, you know, to use the football, any given Sunday, you literally, you could hit somebody who's down at that end or that end at the same day. So how do you, I mean, because you have to manage that yourself. Like you've got to process and you know, come up with solutions that go from your way over and that. And I don't, you know, I'm just giving that spectrum, uh, the spectrum analysis that you've mentioned earlier. It's incredible though. And mm-hmm. how you've got, it depends, right? Every, I guess your answer to everything is, well, it depends. It's, that would seem to me, because you just can't give a, this is what you need to do. Take two, take two aspirins and call me in the morning. <laughs> well, I mean, sometimes it's prescriptive like that. Sometimes it's like, you know, and I guess prescriptive in that I might say, you know, what helps a lot of people this, so you can try this doesn't yeah. work for you. We'll do something else. You don't have to do anything. I tell you to do. And it's not my job to do that. I'm not here to boss you around. I'm here to help you. It's, it's a co-creative situation where we want to help people find their solutions. And sometimes there's some spitballing and brainstorming. And, and if you are a lateral thinker, that's helpful, right? Because then you can sort of draw from a lot of places and find ways to make something workable for someone, even if they are living an experience that I would objectively have no way of understanding. Your database, I mean, the database of you and your collective colleagues as, as a whole, I mean, it must be incredible. But I think back to your time, these things, things you almost unlock something that didn't exist because you were a math science teacher in China. And you saw, I don't know how you saw it, maybe through, as you said, you're talking to your, your counselor, the teachers, others, and you're like, oh, you know, it's like, it's, it's like probably any given day, you're stumbling upon a breakthrough. And that, I'm just going back to your time in, in Shanghai and Taipei, that mm-hmm you must hit that you hit that on a almost daily basis or at least a monthly basis where you've got wow as you mentioned earlier like kind of these couples came together they were pre-covid they hated each other now suddenly they they like each other you know what i mean like these things are these are breakthroughs happening almost on a on a, on a cosmic level to me when i'm listening to you speak yeah um i mean without I have to, I don't know if I, I don't want to take all the credit for these things either, because. This oh, is no, no, not, I don't you mean know. you, but I mean, you're, yeah. you're the, the, the group as a whole, like a shirt psychology, but just because you're in that level dealing with helping people solve problems or find solutions to their problems or challenges, mm-hmm. I mean, you might come across something you didn't expect to. Like, that's how, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about when they talk about scientific discoveries or breakthroughs, it's like through the normal course, you're almost having breakthrough. You could have theoretically breakthroughs every day yeah i think in some ways i'm sure i think that's true if i think back to my week so far i would say yeah every day there was something 
phenomenal that happened. And if it phenomenal in that, you know, a new stride was hit or, you know, someone was ready to say, I, I can take a break from therapy for a while. Like, I think I'm doing great. And I'll be like, yeah, I think you are too. And I agree. I don't think, I think. But that's a goosebump. That is a goosebump moment. If I was a psychologist, for someone to say that, that must be a goosebump. You're like, I got goosebump. Thank you for that. Right. I mean, how many yeah. you, those, you keep a little journal of that, those, those goosebumpy, whatever you want to call it, moments where, hey, they've said that. You know, I mean, that must, that must help you because you understood the mind. You've, I pulled out their mind, their frontal cortex was sitting on my desk. I put it back and, you know, <laughs> I mean, kind of. And I, you know, I don't, I don't, I've started taking notes of things that I find super, you know, this particular idea was really helpful or yeah. this client said something so insightful and I'll say, Hey, I'm writing this down. That was amazing. I'm going to use this again. I'm going to borrow this from you. But, and I let them know that they have helped. They have framed something in a way that I realize will help other people and that this is going to help other people. And a lot of people really enjoy that. A lot of people feel really good about that. Well, yeah, because you pass yeah. on that you know, to, 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 to let them know that you're helping others or potentially help others with, it's a mile, it could be a small breakthrough, you know, maybe not down to the, I always use the word JAMA, I don't the Journal of American Medical, whatever it is to get published. Mm -hmm. in, first of all, that's a massive cup of coffee. I need to, <laughs> that's a massive I, cup of coffee. I do have, I do need a lot of coffee. In the no, it's a big, I'm just saying it's a big cup, right? Mm -hmm. it, it's also... It's just, Oh, what is it? It's the, the monkeys. Oh, the monkeys. Yeah, yeah. They see no evil, hear no evil. Yeah, and at the no bottom evil. it says, good monkey. <laughs> oh, that's funny. It's, but it's just yeah. a big, it just, it really is a massive, it takes a lot of space. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to belabor the point, but you, yeah. we did talk a little bit offline about goal setting and, and this is the time of year. It's, it's, it's mm. fitting that we're here now, the New Year's resolutions. And how, that literally, I, I saw a post, you talked about social media earlier. So you and it was like January 5th or something like, so you already forgot your, you already didn't go to the gym or you, you know, your first goal setting. Let's mm -hmm. talk a little bit about that and sort of how that you're dealing at things that you see in that, at that world. <laughs> you want the honest answer is I don't. It, it, Dr. Robin, have... Dr. I'm going to call you Dr. Let because you got to let me have my goals. <laughs> <laughs> you can have your goals. I just, I have not seen that show up with my clientele, right? The new year's resolution thing. I am all for resolving for change, right? I am a hundred. I mean, that is my literal job, right? Yeah. I help people resolve towards making positive change towards changing the way they think about themselves towards changing the way they think about their thoughts and their feelings the way they experience their feelings so in terms of like like so much of the work i do is about helping people pay you know do the steps they need to do to pay attention to you know where do i show up well for myself and where do i falter because that's where, that's where the intervention has to take place, right? And so I suppose you could consider this to be resolve or resolutions in that like I resolve 
to pay attention to the way I speak to myself in my head so that I do that differently, right? And I, and you have my permission because sometimes you can't give it to yourself. Okay. You have my permission yeah. to continually mess that up because what I'm asking for is the attention, not the perfection. Because if we strive for perfection, I can guarantee you, you will have a hundred percent failure rate. And then when, when I talk to people, you know, and because I see a lot of people who have ADHD yeah. or some kind of neurodivergent spectrum stuff, we are talking about people who continually are able to bring on all these habits to keep care of themselves, to get, keep themselves in their best working order. And then, you know, ultimately they come in and they say, I was doing so great and everything failed. I have totally dropped the ball on everything that I do. Yeah. And it's very, very common that you cannot sustain the habits. So you have to sustain the attitude of, okay, if I fall, I get back up and I have to have processes to get myself back into those spaces where I am operating at my best. And I need to develop a sustained ability to reconnect with compassion for myself for the fact that I don't meet those goals all the time. Right. Because I don't think anybody meets their goals all the time. I don't think it's possible. I don't, right? I, I definitely falter. And I've heard that, the goal setting, right? People say they set these five-year goals and they set up a one-year goal, one-month goal. It doesn't happen. And it's mm -hmm. down on the floor. Didn't have right, to wait, but you, you have know. to wonder... When you set these goals, do you account for the possibility of contingencies, of setbacks, of right. your own burnout from pushing yourself too hard? Right. Do you allow for basically space to space out when you need to? Do you allow for, do you, do you see everything in terms of success or failure? Because the problem I see with resolutions, at least the way it's set up around New Year's, and I don't even know where this stuff comes from, honestly. Do you? That's a good question. Like what, the history I, I of no New idea. Year's resolutions, like why? It's winter. Everything's terrible, <laughs> right? I suppose like, it's got something to do with like, you know, this kind of this, you know, then it's a passing of the, the next, you know, one year to the torch, basically. And so the, from mm. one from one leg of your life, and that's a year maybe yeah. it's just yeah I, that'd be good that's a good that's a good question is what is the history of new year's resolutions okay so um, that's your homework i'm gonna yeah. yeah thank you for that thank you for that <laughs> dr dr robin <laughs> um but yeah i mean it's incredible though it's so for me the goal setting it's been around forever and i, and I've, I remember mm -hmm. having this discussion i don't know where but it was people set up goals most successful most successful people it was like what do i do next you know i i i, I remember my own when I, I passed my CPA exam and it was like this major, it just consumed your life and you were mm -hmm. so sharp on, on everything. And then it's, it was a, it's almost a letdown because what's next, or you feel guilty, not studying, you feel guilty, not, you know, you feel guilty, not doing something at that level all the time. And I back to your runner's high, I guess that's it, right? You drop off and like, you need something, you need another, go back and study. That's why people perpetual, they finish the CPA exam, which is quite onerous. I'm going to go get my CFA now, or I'm going to go get my master's or, you know what I mean? I got to continue. It's 
Yeah, you got it on the wall. Sorry, I'm speaking to the. No, I mean, like, that's that's what a lot. That's what three of those are. It's just perpetual school. Only one of those was actually like an intentional choice. of This is what I need to do to make my life happen the way I need it to. The rest of it was just perpetual emotion machine. If I'm good at school, it's rewarding. So I'm going to keep doing things that are rewarding. So and you were getting a dopamine high. Different. You were getting it like as an elite mm-hmm. athlete, as an elite student, right? There was a movie, yeah. um, Van Wilder. It was called Van Wilder. It was, um, <laughs> you know the movie, right? I do. He hit the 10 year threshold. He's got to, <laughs> and his, his, uh, the protege was that, uh, the, the, the Indian national who was, you know, he's, he's a famous actor himself today, but you know, Ryan yeah. Reynolds, it was brilliant, right? I mean, in, in mm. its time, but it literally, he just was the opposite. He couldn't get any degree. He couldn't finish anything. He couldn't get any goals yeah. set. And actually, <laughs> when you're in school that long, they start deleting your and your first year courses. So you have to keep going because you start. Yeah. <laughs> um, I knew some people like that actually in undergrad, but um, you, you know, there is a, a social view of that of like, well, what's wrong with you? Why don't you get want to get out into the real world? Yeah. You know, sort of like, well, it's scary in part because sometimes when you like to learn, it's hard to know what you would want to monetize, I guess, because, you know, I maybe I could have been a professional pianist at some point, but then it wouldn't be my hobby anymore. It would be my job. Like, would that change how I feel about playing the piano? Like, what can I do on a sort of sustained basis that's going to work for me? And if you, I think Van Wilder painted like the perpetual student as someone who didn't want to grow up. But I see it maybe from a stance of, I just get lost and I get so down being unable to access my, my, how I get dopamine from, you know, school and grades or, you know, being productive, this whole productivity myth, like, oh, our value is only based on what you can produce. As opposed to like, so like the idea of, so for me, back to the resolutions thing. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this, this is. I want to resolve to, I, I get, but we all are fall prey to the that productivity myth. Like if I'm not doing, I'm not being productive. Therefore, in the back of your head, perhaps, well, I'm a, I'm wasting my time. Yeah. Right. So you have to be busy so that you don't seem like you're wasting your time. And usually it's like your parents saying, what are you doing? Why aren't you doing anything? Get, get moving. Why, you know, stop twiddling your thumbs. Like, well, what's wrong with twiddling your thumbs sometimes? We need downtime, right? We need to be able to be not productive. It's a, we need those forms of rest because it is quite hard. This is why people burn out. If you have, if you're continually productive, when are you taking a break from the doing and just being? Yeah. And so goal setting, if taken to sort of this, these black and white avenues of it's all or nothing, I'm going to go to the gym five times a week. Of course you're not. You burn out. You're, you're going to hurt yourself yeah. day two, and yeah. then it's not going to happen anymore. So like graduated change is always going to be the best approach right with gentleness on yourself for knowing that like you cannot just maybe some people can't so i'm not going to say this is an absolute 
but most people cannot just you know flip the page and become this holy healthy person who can you know meditates half an hour and goes to the gym for an hour every day and eats all the best foods and never screw like you know you just can't you can't do it all there was you and it's just remind me it's better to develop habits that work for you that are built on other habits that you already do right that i think that's the atomic habits book talks about that i mean because that's an about fate like say a complete 360 or when whatever it is like going the other direction and there was yeah. a guy the, his name is rich roll and he was uh, he said i was 40 40 years 40 years old overweight out of work wasn't working and now he's a he's a he's a triathlete he's a, he's a nutritionist and he's a podcaster he's got all that but mm-hmm. you know did that was a complete pivot he said it was going up the stairs and it was just like it was wheezing and whatever i mean I, i'd like to see the before and after because now he's like this thin and he's probably in his late 50s i don't know how old he is but when he was early mm-hmm. 40s he just took this complete reversal but that can have stressors on your body you know maybe health health wise but I, it, it's, I like your, what you've suggested is just, you know, putting in processes, regulate um, if it's not working. Cause if you, the massive, I think that massive pivot and doing things completely against what you're doing. You know I mean, like, I don't know what you, if you come across this in your work, but when people are, they want to make that hundred percent change. Is that, that, that doesn't sound like that's the solution. I can't any goal. So I'm going to, you know what I mean? Like, is it that I'm going to go off to the mountains and live for, you know, for the next 50 years in isolation? I mean, you know what I mean? Like that drastic shift. Mm-hmm. I think, I think people are capable of drastic shifts. Like, like the person that you're speaking of, but again, if you weren't present for what that process was, like, it's hard to know how yeah. they embodied that. Yeah. And, you know, some people will be like, you know, I'm smoking cigarettes. And then suddenly it's like, oh, this is really gross. And just not pick up another cigarette. But there has to be an internal motivation for doing that, right? Because if you right. think I should, because other people tell me I should. And because a lot, you know, a lot of us are by virtue of who we are, uh, somewhat oppositional to being told, you know what you should do, Right. You, you should get that do? picture down off your wall. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but you're right. You could then the defense. Yeah. No, it looks like a macrame thing, something my daughter, my sister made when we were growing up. It's a painting. <laughs> it is a painting. Yeah. Um, but it's it's I like what you're saying because that immediately the defensive walls go up and you know mm. you you push back or you find to do something the opposite of what they what people are telling you should do. Yeah, and it's almost like because you know, the way we are conditioned with our upbringing and the social norms and school and work and all these things, the shoulds internalize themselves. And then we, we say them to ourselves, but they're not our own shoulds. So they are very much like, I am expected to do these things. I'm not doing them. I feel bad about myself for not doing those things. Yeah. I don't like that. I feel defensive of that because like, I also know I'm probably not that bad of a person. So Ultimately, it's there's a bit of a. I mean, it's just opposition. Like, no, you know what? I'm not going to the gym. If everyone says I should, I am not doing that. I am going to go to McDonald's. I'm going to go, you know, <laughs> or whatever it is. And I'm not saying, you know, go to McDonald's, whatever. But it's sort of this idea of 
so many of the things that we struggle with in our heads, I mean, this is what I work with, the things in people's heads. And so many of the things in our heads are internalized negativity and expectations. And, you know, our parents who weren't perfect, who grew up with their parents who were also not perfect, that there's, you know, and if there's any, if your family has any history of mental illness or, you know, any kind of, you know, large scale issues that affect a lot of people, then you start having like quite painful internal thoughts that are negative. And you think that you're, because, you know, what is a thought? It's whatever. Because they're in your head, you think they're yours. And they're not not yours the way, you know, in some ways there is a concept of schizophrenia where people have uh, sort of psycho- like delusions or like, I hear voices, I, I hallucinate. Right. I, right. And a lot of, you know, that might be considered in some frames of thought, it's considered almost like it's so painful to have these thoughts experienced in my head that I externalize them to the extent that I almost, I, I hear them as other people. Wow. And actually they probably were at some point, other people's thoughts. And it becomes internalized. You internalize and it becomes, those thoughts. So, and the rest of us just have anxiety. <laughs> like, yeah. why are you so terrible at everything you do? And that imposter syndrome you brought up earlier, like I have this doctorate and I don't deserve it. Like, of course you deserve it. You got it. You worked for it. You deserve that. But there is this sense of like, well, some kind of internalized guilt of from ages and ages ago, you know, some part of you at who was five, 10, 15, who experienced some kind of negative commentary and it internalized to protect yourself. Yeah. And then at this point in life, you don't even realize that that wasn't yours to begin with. So. That's incredible, but but that takes probing for you. I mean, I, there's that. What is it called? NLP or natural uh, neuralistic link? Uh, I I don't know the, the well, like technique. Tony Robbins stuff. NLP. I I just know the term neuristic. Is it oh, okay. uh, neuristic link? Uh, natural ling- linguistic programming. Something where you they. You, but you really need to probe and to understand where the root of those thoughts come from, mm-hmm. right? So how to change the thoughts and I, the NLP, and I'm not an expert. I just remember during COVID, I read, I did read a book about that. And it was right. like, wow, this makes kind of sense where people were afraid of bees and they, they, they did, they, you know, or they had some negative thought that goes back association. And I don't know. Um, you probably know that you would know. I just know I'm badgering that word, but it's like, Oh, <laughs> I don't, I would. There is an unfortunate link between neuro-linguistic programming and sort of a negative sort of bro culture game theory regarding like how to swindle women into dates. Well, there's a movie called, uh, <laughs> there was a movie with, um, uh, will will um will smith yes, that, was, that stuff yeah but that yeah. that was fun that was more fun but you're right and it's yeah i'm i'm talking it was you know the book i read was more of you know people helping get over phobias right they had a, okay they had a fear maybe of it's got, something else i i don't i'm not you're right no you're right neuristic neuristic linguistic uh, uh neuro linguistic programming 
but it was to change phobias. People, when they had a phobia of a bee sting, they got stung by a bee. And so they were, you know, they had a fear of bees. And so that kind of where they were using mind, almost mindfulness tactics, where they just helped you get over those fears. And I don't, okay. I'm, not, I'm not an expert. It was a kind of, it was, to me, it was a fascinating book. I didn't spend a lot of time deep diving into it, but that's, that's what I got from it. It gives you the, you know, steps to overcome those fears, the phobia, but right. I mean, that's in your, because there's thoughts in your head and how you feel when you hear buzzing of the bee. I, I have a phobia to the, the wasp because, you know, the last time I got stung by a wasp, the darn thing, I, I, swelled, my, I swelled up on my uh, leg and it was just this weird thing I had, but anyway, my point is, is those, those it phobias. sounds like an allergy. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, but I'm not allergic to, but anyway. Um, okay. At least in general, I didn't think it was, but it does remind me some of the things when you talk about thoughts and I'm just mm -hmm. looking at my notes here, Cody, one of your colleagues, Cody Harper was talking about rumination because yeah. the, the thoughts get in your head and you ruminate over it. And I'm like, well, you mean like a roommate? Cause we made it play on the, you know, yeah, your roommate, it, it, you know, it, going back to the university days, your roommate, you ruminate over that. Oh, that person never cleans the dishes or that person never picks up. Right. And those mm -hmm. thoughts are just, they just go in your head. And I was I, that roommate. <laughs> you were that roommate. So yeah. you were ruminating over your roommates. But I, I just, you know, the way the way you've just expressed it is like, wow, these thoughts can consume you. And yeah. whether, you know, the spectrum of where you're on, they come in your office and like, and as I said, any given Sunday or any given day, you're like, all right, where are you today? Where are you on the spectrum? Where's my client on the spectrum today? Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, it is like that. We... When people come into therapy, you know, I ask them what they want to, like at our first session, for example, I ask them, what do you, what can I help you with today? What do you, you know, what's going on? And they'll, you know, maybe they have no idea. And then we have to do a little bit broader probing, or maybe they do have an idea. There's been an incident. This thing happened. I need to talk about it. I need to talk about it now. Okay. Well, we will talk about it. Let's, let's do some other stuff first though. Let me get to know you a little bit. Let me get to know what you, you know, where are you coming from? Who are you a little bit, you know, as much as you can do in like 25 minutes. And then you, yeah. you know, go back and like, what's, what, let's talk about this problem. Then. What happened? Tell me about that. And some people, when people don't know what they're coming in with, they're, you know, often they are ruminating. I feel like I'm going crazy. That's the, you know, I hear that so much. I feel like I'm going crazy and no one is crazy for them. You know, people can act crazy, but you know, they're like, oh, I do this and I do this and I do this. I just feel crazy. My God, it sounds like you have anxiety or it sounds yeah. like you're, you have anxiety and then you get a little bit depressed sometimes, or, you know, you, you feel like you're, you're energy is up and down and all over the place and you can't control your thoughts and you know you feel like your relationships aren't working well okay well let's figure that out right and I think what I when they when people ruminate so going back to the whole like anxiety is a means yep, of trying yep. to you know like when you're anxious when you're ruminating on a problem, you can't think of anything else. That's it. It, it, it consumes you. It you know why? No. Because when you are ruminating, you are generating like some dollar store dopamine. 
<laughs> and that's why it's cheap. I'm, worried. It's cheap I'm worrying. <laughs> it's, well, cheap cheap. Rumi- it's cheap. It's uh, cheap. Cheap dopamine. I got it on the it's court. Cheap. You want some hay? It's actually like it's like McDonald's hamburgers have you know 100% beef is the company name. How much beef is actually in the hamburger is not yeah. 100%. So what else is? <laughs> so it's like you're not getting all the beef. You're getting. Wendy's had that. Where's the beef? Wendy said that commercial years ago. Where's the beef? But where's the no, beef? I get. I love that your analogy right? though. Like this, a dollar store dopamine. It's not a. It's really cheaply done, and it's not going to help. So stop, stop that. I mean, so okay. So what's your suggestion then? If it's such dull, well, you have, such to, low you have to redirect, but you have to notice you're doing it, right? Yeah. You can't, you can't change something you haven't noticed. Um, you can't. Nothing can be. Nothing that is not based can be changed. That's uh, oh, so psychologist. I can't remember his name right now. Sorry, guy. Um, the he's very famous. I love this. Uh, Sorry, guy. He's very. You're very famous. I just can't. But if you do get it, if you do remember, Robin, just we'll put that in the episode notes because I love this. Right? How do you get over that? Uh, I can that? find it because it's actually yeah. on my uh, Instagram page. Um, okay. He. It's just like it's such an accurate thing though right you can't change anything that you don't face that you don't look at right and you have to be able to see it to see it right there's looking and there's seeing so you have and that's why the the mindfulness part of it is like getting accustomed to paying attention to the fact that oh i've been thinking about this same stupid thing for an hour and the reason we keep doing it is because it feels productive and why does it feel productive Dime store dopamine. So then you're like, okay, it's actually not productive, but my brain thinks it's solving a problem. Yeah. But the original root of the word ruminate comes from this is what cows do with their food. They regurgitate. They regurgitate and chew it again. That's rumination. Right. So mentally speaking, you are regurgitating and rechewing something that has nothing more to give you. Wow. Right. So stop rechewing your food, your thoughts. You have to redirect your thoughts. You have to redirect your behaviors. Sometimes you just have to say, oh, I see that happening. I need to do something different. Sometimes that it's as easy as that. Sometimes it's not, but like I need to do something different. I need to interrupt the rumination, realize what it is, and say, okay. You know, I've been going to therapy for a while. What can I, what has worked for me in the past? I'm going to do that. What helps me settle down? I'm going to do that. What helps me regulate? That's why like, oh, go for a walk. And it works for some people, not for everybody. So what works for you? Because you get on the walk and like, now now your thoughts are really consumed because that's all I can think about on the walk. But this is incredible stuff. Like as 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 I ruminate over this, no, as I think about it, you know, like that, there is those moments like in the car, you know, if you're driving in the car and someone cuts you off and there's that expression, you get to the office and you're, you're mad. You're, and that person's driving. They, they, they don't even know that they, they cut you off, but mm-hmm. you've ruminated it all the way to the office, all the way, wherever it is. And it's consumed mm-hmm. you for the rest of the day, at least for better part, you're talking about it at the office and that person, the blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. What would you say to that person? How do you get over that? I mean, I get it. Probably some ways, but yeah. I mean, a lot of road rage could be sort of. I think it could be 
re-explained as, you know, anger is often a mask. Anger is sometimes the thing that we go to and it, and it gets so fast, so automatic of like, when I'm scared, yeah. when I'm sad, when I'm in a vulnerable, when I'm embarrassed, right? I get angry because that keeps, that energizes me, right? Whereas vulnerable emotions like sadness, like fear, like embarrassment, shame, right? Guilt, those things are very vulnerable and make our energies feel low. Right. So people who will have road rage, who will be angry about, you know, you embarrass someone, they're angry. You, someone is, sometimes people come in and they're like, I have an anger problem. It's like, oh, well, you might have a depression problem actually, because <laughs> that you don't, and you don't look depressed because you're using anger to, to keep yourself out of the low spaces. Right. So I would say, well, I mean, that must've been really scary getting cut off. You know, I know you're mad about it, but is there a part of you that was maybe a bit scared? What does that look like? You know, we're driving around in these thousand kilogram metal cans and sometimes we forget what that is, right? We're driving at high speeds and people do dangerous things. And then, you know, sort of like respecting the danger that we put ourselves in every day by driving vehicles. Well, I like what you did there. You really said, and then you thought about it. There's a danger. You're, you're afraid. I love because it, it, ref, it deflects it to... Yeah. And then your, your thoughts would change mm -hmm. to, yeah. As opposed to not being angry. I love that. Cause it would be, yeah. you know, there's, it's a way of deflecting and thinking about really the situation. I love that. I, it really is. It's yeah. Well, I mean, you can't ever, you can't stop thoughts. Like don't think about a pink elephant. Good luck. Right. He's flying around now. He's flying around. <laughs> what if you just change, change the thoughts? Yeah figure out how to change your thoughts. If you can't do it in your head, you write it down and do it that way. So you can see yourself doing it. Right. And then and you, you know call you this self-regulate. That sounds you've written that in the, in the episode notes, like the self that's self-regulating. Yeah. I mean, and you know, the, any regulated profession is like psychology is a self-regulated profession. Our, the idea is that we are supposed to keep ourselves in check it is our responsibility to do our due diligence to do the best we can to follow you know we have very strict ethical rules and confidentiality yeah. and you know we really have to follow that and so we have to and it's up to us to take ourselves into the places that we need to go if we need help if we need consultation if we need to talk to a colleague or a lawyer or whoever right and it's the same with self-regulation for anybody it's it's putting the agency in your own hands to be able to say, like, I don't have to be the victim of my feelings or my thoughts. I don't have to identify with those things so much. I can separate myself from those. And then I can learn how to manage myself in the context of things that are happening. And then I feel more in control of myself because I realize I have agency. Yeah, you have standing. I mean, that's a, that's a sort of a legal term. Do you have standing? Mm -hmm. Do you have agency? Like that's can you represent this situation? I love that, right? You're literally, mm -hmm. do I, and can I control that and, and, and bring it 
well, and to the present, I think you've, I don't know if you've said it, but that, you know, that's bringing it to the present. And I think that was one of my, one of your other colleagues talked about that. Maybe Cody talked about that, bringing it to the present. Yes, I agree. <laughs> right. Cause it, yeah, it's, and it's like, and we all have different frameworks by which we approach these things. I have like a few multiple frameworks of it, Yeah. but no matter how you parse it and no matter what your neurotype, whatever your neurodivergence might be, whatever your job might be, whatever your level of mental health might be, all we, we all have to work with. We have the same kinds of gray matter to work with. We have the same kinds of bodies to work with. We have the same basic pl like planning, right? Same basic structures. So it's gonna be harder than for some people than others on the basis of any number of things, right? Physical illness, mental illness, you know, socioeconomic status, uh, various, you know, ethnicities and, and uh, any kind of marginalized community. Like we all have, like you're gonna have social impacts. There's gonna be political impacts. There's gonna be all these things, but ultimately we're kind of all the same. And so, and we all do better when we feel like we have a sense of empowerment and agency. Yeah. And whatever you're working with, it is my job to like help you figure that out. How do I develop agency so that I have a sense of direction and that I am somehow involved in that direction? Yeah. You know? So. Well, Robin, this has been, I, I know we jumped a lot of topics, um, but I think we've jumped off. Uh, you jumped. I think jumping off is, is a good. We've jumped like off that. a lot around on this one, but I think you've really brought it whole. And I like that, the, you know, that, that, that self-regulation or that, that bringing it back to literally in a simple sense, like, were you afraid the car accident? I mean, or the car, because you, you, you could have been in the car accident. You could have heard the dog. Like, there's so many ways that can go. And it's like, that's a reflection, the deflection. This, is, this has been really helpful for me. Is there anything you want to, I know I get, you just really closed it off with the self-agency or the agency, but is there any last words you want to say to where we jump before we go to the next, uh, the, we'll have another, I think we need to have another discussion, bring in 17 of your colleagues together. I want to pick all your uh, brains at the same time. That would be interesting. Yeah. Um, no, I think, I think what I just said, I would yeah. like to leave that as my last thought because no matter what we've been talking about, whether it be goal setting or like, you know, burnout in the workplace or, you know, self-regulate in, in a way they're all, it's about, it is about agency. It's about jumping off into new spaces yeah. of being brave and looking at your own mind and experience, experiences, your own, like, and it's not about, and it's about learning to see things see the gray in between yeah. to be able to in, embrace possibility. And to do that, you have to be able to like, you have to be able to self-regulate really. That's the ultimate thing. Yeah. Yeah. Goal setting. You need to like be, and, and, and part of self-regulation is when I know how to do that, then I also am a, able to look at myself and say, well, where are the things where I know it's going to be difficult to set, you know, to engage in goals and like, how do I create goals that are gonna make sense for me? Not necessarily to the tune of other people's drums, but like, these are my goals. This is what works for me. I am gonna work this much and then I'm gonna take a month off and then I'm gonna do this and then I'm gonna, right. 
like I organize my life that in a way that works for me. And I set my goals in that same way, as opposed to like doing the, this is what I think is expected of me. And then also that feeling that opposition and all that. Right. So it's sort of like, how do I make it so that I have the agency to move forward the way I need to. And we'll leave it at that. Robin, thank you. So this has been, this has been, sorry for this has been a great discussion. I don't want to belabor the point. I think, the new year is upon us and this is this is uh it's been a fun time uh, chatting with the team over at a shirt psychology so i assure you i'm psyched up about this i want to i want to get engaged more with your team so thank you for today and uh You're welcome all the best and um i will not ruminate over this podcast <laughs> okay have a good day Bye-bye. you too bye